your desire for each one of us to experience you, to grow deeper in your love, to be touched and transformed by your presence. Such love, Father, we rejoice. Thank you, Daddy. Come and revive each one of us. Come and revive each one of us. going to continue to touch our hearts and move among us. And what we wanted to do this morning was Jane and I want to tell you a little of our revival story. And Jane's got a way to begin that, so I'm going to hand it over to her. Yes, as God is moving so much in this country and across the world and, um, you know, some of us were asking, well, what what was your experience in in Toronto? What was your experience of revival? What does revival mean to you? And um, I love to tell this story because it's still unfolding, but it was so impactful when we went to Toronto. And just a heads up, we're going to include you guys to <laughs> tell your story a little bit because it actually completely fits. <laughs> no. But um, as I was driving here, I felt like there was one summary line that it is... He did what I couldn't. He did what I couldn't. Should we say that again? He did what I couldn't. And so that was why I was really amazed at the, at the songs that Ira had chosen for today because it's, it's all about you going ahead, Lord. Um, you've gone to win my war. Uh, you, you came back with the head of the enemy and you came back and you call it my victory. Um, all I did was praise. He said, um, when I thought I lost me, you knew where to find me. You introduced me to love. And um, this morning, I, w I was really drawn again to, to Genesis. And I'm just going to say a little bit of how this all fitted together for me. Uh, I started... <coughs> In Genesis 21, where it says, um, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. So there are some of us in this room, probably all of us, who are holding on to promises. And Abraham and Sarah, at that point, Abraham and Sarai, had been promised some things. They'd been promised that they were going to be have nations come from them. Um, but here in chapter 21, here she is, a very, you know, beyond the age of childbearing, and here she is in the miraculous, the, the supernatural. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. So right now, this is a moment, whatever you're believing for, he's going to do it because he's pr his promise is yes and amen. Um I felt like I was looking at a, a few sort of different people in this, and there's there's Hagar, who got invited into the story really by Sarai, and the reason that she got invited in was Sarah Sarai was was losing hope of seeing the promise, and she actually 
she said she actually somewhat blames God. She said, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Oops. You know, sometimes when we don't see the answer, sometimes one of our wrong things to do is to blame God. Um, and so she then makes a plan that's her plan, like go let, let my servant girl go to Abraham and be with him and let's get this sorted out. You know, and it re reminded me of, um, maybe slightly differently, but Adam and the woman in the garden. How, because it says that Abraham, Abraham complied. He he agreed with her proposal. So it's interesting little catch there. But anyway, uh, then, so so it sort of already started with some of her self-effort, and then it turns out that Hagar. Um, when she knew that she was pregnant, she um, she began to treat her mistress with contempt, and so there's always there's already like some mess stirring up, and this was the first time that Hagar ended up in the wilderness. Um, so when we do our own thing, you know, we end up in the wilderness, or somebody something does. And but what was so beautiful about this first visit is that the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, and this was all about the wilderness and my defender. Um, and <coughs> he says, um, the angel said to her, Hagar, right, so he's already said her name, right? So he knows your name before you've even told the Lord. Sarah's servant, right, you already, he knows what you do already. Um, where have you come from and what are you doing? Where are you going? And um, so she gets the opportunity to say what she's doing. I'm running away from my mistress. And then he charges her. He says, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he adds, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So there's even blessing right where we've gone wrong. He still comes and meets us. Um, it turns out Ishmael means God hears. And um, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Who of us have got distress? And so he hears. Um, he says the son of yours will be wild and untamed, like a wild donkey, and will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone else will be against him. And he will live in the open. He will live in open hostility against all his relatives. And that does happen. It says Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, "You are the God who sees me." You're the God who sees me. Um, I've truly seen the one who sees me. And so she, it's at this well, Beer um, Lahai Mor Roy. Sorry, I haven't got my glasses on either. Um, the well of living one. The, the well of the living one who sees me. Well then, so then the Lord comes to Abraham. Abraham's 99. The Lord appears. I thought this was interesting. He says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. 99. I remember you saying, found about being older. Does the Lord understand? So Abraham, Abraham's been living his life already, but at 99 years old, he gets charged um, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I was wondering what he had been doing, but here, this is like, he's calling him to another level 
And so all of us can be called to another level. Um, whatever age we are, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And it says, and Abraham fell down on the ground. And that was all I did was praise you. Lord, I will just bow down. It's like, this is song is just lifted straight out of all of this. Um, then the Lord comes back to Abraham and he says, Sarah, your wife, um, her, her name will no longer, oh, well, then he changes his name. Okay, that's important too. And that's where I'm coming to my testimony eventually um, because because I don't live in what I used to live, but super quickly. So he says, no longer will you be called Abraham, but instead you'll be called Abraham, for you'll be the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. And we were speaking about kings being the ones who searched out the deep things too. And then Sarah so he says, regarding your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her. He laughs. He says, hey, wait, a, wait, what about, can you not just bless Ishmael? He goes, no. God replies, no. <laughs> Sarah, your wife, will give birth to your son for you. It's like, no, I have a promise for you. Don't be impatient. This is the, what, the way I want to do it. And so um, he said, that was just amazing. So God's the one who does what we cannot do. And so that's really my testimony was, um, you know, when we went to Toronto, uh, was an, quite a surprise, but it was so exciting because it was so different. First of all, it was very cold, but it was dry cold. And I'm like, God is doing something. And so now I'm really awake and expectant. And I saw the father was doing was touching people's lives and I remember thinking I want that and whatever it takes I want that and so people were receiving deeply they were crying they were laughing it was very deep but there was somehow this desperation because I it was I felt like my heart was impermeable Im impenetrable or whatever there were things that had come up and were walls around my heart and so I wasn't able to receive. Guess what? I just, you know, I'm trying harder. I'm trying less. <laughs> right? This is all our own effort part. And I just said, God, I give you permission to do whatever, it needs to, whatever needs to happen so that I can receive this. Well, then, you know, that's, he's already gone ahead for us, but he loves that prayer. It's like, God, I can't do this, but what you want to do, please do that. And so the rest is really history. It started with forgiveness and this rippling tension in my middle, my belly became a mill pond of peace when I started to forgive people. I didn't even know I had unforgiveness, but it certainly felt good when I released them. And, and, um, and just been a beautiful journey. I, so my name, I think what I was living under when we're talking about his name for us, I was fearful. I did not want to give my opinion because I didn't think it was valuable enough. I would not go up to anybody else and change and be part of any of the conversation. And so, <coughs> but I had given God permission, right? So he get, came to me in a dream. 
And we laugh, laugh at that because <coughs> get her while she's down. <laughs> <laughs> but in the dream, I'm in a swimming competition. I love to swim. And it was about to be my turn to race. And everyone started to go home. I'm like, no, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I woke up. <laughs> and I said to Mark, I've had a dream. He said, I know, I've been praying for you. And so we said, what is this reminding you of? This feeling of being left behind, left out. And we went through school and all those experiences at school where I felt left out felt very different. And then he said, I chose you to be Jane. If you had been made at any other time, you wouldn't have been Jane, and I wanted Jane. And those words were so real and are so real that it changed me, and I literally could go up to people and talk to them. Him coming, the Father coming to us and changing what I cannot change. And then just, but I still felt empty. There was this emptiness. And so I was responding to everything that we were receiving and hearing. But one of the days was very significant. I was going to be part of the worship team. I was on a leadership course for three, four weeks. And I was late that day, so I didn't feel I could go up and play, even though I knew that I would be welcome. And I saw the piano, I could hear what I would have played, but I still decided that I wouldn't go up because I shouldn't. But I felt like I wanted to go up, and I'm like just, and I could hear what I would have played, but I was like frozen to the carpet. That morning they were talking about inner vows and what our hearts choose that are not fitting with what God chooses. They're at my agreement, my got to, my, this is what I'm going to do. And how that means that I put myself in God's place. I sit on his throne when I say, I will. Like Sarah says, you do this, let, I will do this, I'm going to do this. So I had done that. And apparently I'd done it when I was first conceived. Because I felt in the way. And through times of soaking and through all of this, I knew that God was saying to me, you felt in the way, that's legit, okay, but my job is to be your defender, your protector. But you chose to hide. Because you chose to hide, you gave the enemy a right to keep you hidden. So all my life, I'm battling this spiritual battle internally where I can't step forward and I can't receive so I'm not living out my name, I'm not living out my potential. But as soon as I knew that I had made this sin of my choice, my response, I asked God to forgive me. And I broke my agreement and it was like a seatbelt came off my life. And I literally could step forward. From then on, everything was different. I was different. I never have had emptiness since. And I feel like there's that, that whole river of living water can come now. And worship is different because 
he can flow through. So if I said, what did revival do for me? He did what I could not do. And now he's doing what I cannot do. Amen. She was totally different in one day when that happened. Literally, my wife came home different, totally transformed. And like Jane said, it's God does that. We can't do that. Trouble is most of us have been trained to try to make something of ourselves. That's how we ended up in Toronto in the first place. Because of all my training to make something of myself to impress God and impress others, I was working, we were working at a Christian conference center, but I had no revelation of being loved by God. I was trying to earn God's love. So I wasn't a very nice person back then. In fact, while we were in Toronto, we realized that Jane was suffering from depression. And maybe a little of that was to do with having had three babies, but a lot of it was to do with the jerk she was married to. Because I was trying to be this spiritual guy, and I wasn't bringing the love of God into our relationship. And quite rightly, the boss at the conference center decided something needed to be done about this guy who had made a lifetime commitment to that center, but was clearly in it for what he could get out of it. You know, I was waiting for the boss to retire so that I could take over. Because if I was running this Christian center, then God would be very proud of me and others would look up to me and I would have made it. <laughs> so my boss hired somebody else to do my job. And I had to train him. And that's a fun journey to go on. Because as Jack Frost used to say, you only find out what you're full of when you're squeezed. And I would add to that, and once you've been squeezed, it won't go back in the tube. And so I was squeezed. And we went for advice to some trusted friends of ours who actually knew the situation. And <laughs> When I said we're having a conflict with the boss, he said, yeah, I know, he's been talking to me about the trouble he's been having with you for the last year. <laughs> but they said, we know you made a lifetime commitment to that place, but maybe God's telling you to move on. And long story short, they said, if you do decide to move on, let us know, because major international ministries are asking for you. God had spoken to John Arnott in Toronto and told him to get a tall Englishman to join his team because of all the international visitors. This was about 96, early 97, I guess. So the revival was about three years young at that point. And we had seen something of what God had been doing in Toronto through the people. That's one of the things I want to stress. Revival is not a geographical phenomenon. Revival is a relational phenomenon. God will break out wherever people allow him to break out. And revival may be just you in your home. Or revival may be thousands of people in a stadium. Or it may be something in between like we experience here on Sundays and when we gather. It's not a geographical thing alone. Although, where there is revival being welcomed, it's worth going to receive so that you can take it back to wherever you belong. <laughs> so there's that tension. you know. But we had seen some of what God could do in revival as people came back from Toronto to England. But we also had people telling us that this was the devil. 
And they could prove it, you know, they could quote scriptures and prove that this was the devil. So when we found out that Toronto were asking for us, I had two things rise up in me, <laughs> neither of them very beautiful. Um, the first was, I'm not sure this is God. And the second was, why would God want to do anything like that for me? If I don't qualify to run a, a regional ministry in the UK, why would a major international ministry want me? But God had told John to get a tall Englishman, and I was a tall Englishman, and we still don't know. We've we've dug in. We don't know how God, how John knew about us. It's hidden. But Jehovah Sneaky knew what he was doing, because John invited us to go for a conference because they didn't know us and we didn't know them. Go for a conference, stay on for a week afterwards. So we get on a plane, we leave the kids with grandparents and we get on a plane, the two of us go to Toronto for this conference. I actually don't think I realized until I got there that the conference was called The Father Loves You. <laughs> yeah. And he does. Not as a theology, but as an experience. You see... As soon as I walked into that building where people had been welcoming God's presence, there was just something about it. There were only probably half a dozen people in there, somebody vacuuming the carpet and somebody straightening the chairs, but that was it. But you could tell God's presence was just easily available there. It was like a sort of wonderful uh, pool to wade into of God's love. Thing is, it's not actually located just there on that carpet. <laughs> it's located wherever those who love God gather. And that was what I was sensing. <laughs> it wasn't the building, it was the relationships. And that week, God took me apart and put me back together again. All of those wrong motives just all got washed away. And the reason I had those wrong motives was because I had this orphan heart that thought that I wasn't fathered and I needed to find my own way. Jane talked about, I will do this and I will do that. Well, that was exactly where I was living from. And it's an orphan heart. And Father in his goodness said, let's deal with that. And so for me, I experienced an overwhelming presence of God's love just pouring into my life. And I, I discovered that when God's on the move, you can laugh and cry simultaneously. Because there was the relief of not having to maintain a facade and there was the, the, the joy of of all of the, 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 the ungodly stuff being washed away and then there was the freedom of not having to strive anymore as well as the the, the, the sense of, of being washed clean from all of the damage I'd done to myself trying to be something. And so when I finally got up off the floor, which I did a couple of times in that week, if I recall, uh, I knew I didn't have anything left to prove because I was loved. Now, I slipped and fell in really quickly because I was such a mess. Jane was less of a mess, but she took a lot longer. The story she told you was about four or five years later. 
when she finally had a breakthrough and we'd been in that atmosphere for a long time. I say that to say that it's very important not to compare yourself with anybody else. Because God knows what you need, how you need it, when you need it, the way you need it. All you've got to do is trust Him. And sometimes God will see to it that you have to trust Him. He'll push you. <laughs> you know, we obviously joined the staff there, and uh, my job in the last couple of years we were there was, was I was called the revival director, which was a very <laughs> um, scary title because I think the Holy Spirit was the revival director, but I led the department that tried to keep up with Him. So we ran all the conferences and the nightly meetings and so on. And John would have me do stuff that there's no way I could do. When I got to do the leaders' school, um, some of you have heard this story, so forgive me for the repetition, but many of you haven't. When I got to do the same leaders' school as Jane had done when she talked about the seatbelt story, I did it six months later, and John said, I need one favor of you, Mark. I know you're taking the time to do the leaders' school, but I need you to go to Montreal for me, second Friday uh, of the school, or second Saturday, I forget now. Um, because there's a revival meeting there that I was supposed to do and I can't go. So take a team with you from the leaders' school as your ministry team. Go and do this revival meeting for me in Montreal. Thought, yeah, okay, John. Because yeah. one of the things I'd learned, when you don't have anything left to prove, you can say yes to authority all the time and worry later about how you're going to handle it. God will use those authority structures in our lives to actually get us to places that we wouldn't go otherwise. So I'm driving my team, because I'm the only one with a Canadian driver's license, so I'm the only one allowed to drive the rental car or the minivan. Driving this team to Montreal, they're all so excited about this amazing meeting we're going to have, and God hasn't let me get anything prepared. Nothing. I got nothing ready for this meeting. And I'm panicked, because I, it struck me that you know I'm pretty good at the sort of make people cry, help them get their hearts healed stuff, but this is a revival meeting. They want evangelism, they want prophetic words, they want physical healings, you know, they want to see the power of God move, and that's the stuff that I love joining in with, but I don't really make that kind of stuff happen. <laughs> but that's okay, because you don't have to make anything happen. Anyway, the team are having all this exciting time as we're driving to Montreal and they're having words of knowledge about people who are going to get healed. And I told the passenger sitting beside me to write these down because I thought this will fill a few minutes of this meeting that's going to be very short otherwise because I've got nothing. And we get there just in time to, to, to start the meeting. And Pastor Jerry, the uh, friend, the pastor of the church there, welcomes us and puts us in the front row. And the worship begins and the floor starts moving. You know, sometimes in his desire to reach us, God will do strange things. It's not, don't copy what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you this because you may have something weird happen in your life where it's God trying to get your attention. But the floor was moving, and I had to literally sort of shift to, to stay up. <laughs> As the floor was, I'm like, there's something wrong here. This is weird. And I said, God, what are you doing? And he said, well, you remember you asked me about walking on water? You know, Peter got out of the boat when he saw Jesus. And I'd been reading that a few weeks earlier, and I said, God, would you teach me to trust you enough to step out of the boat and walk on water? He said, yeah, I'm teaching you to walk on water. It's going to be okay. All you've got to do is do what I say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Ah, okay. So the worship ends and Jerry introduces the famous speaker from Toronto and I turned around to see who it was. <laughs> and as he handed me the microphone, God said to me, prophesy to the worship team. And I'm like, I don't do prophecy. <laughs> and God said, prophesy to the worship team. And as I looked at the worship team, there's about eight of them on the platform, and they had words written on their T-shirts. So I just read those words out. I started on one side and read what was written on the guy's T-shirt. And, and he went, flat on the platform. So I went to the next one, read what was on her T-shirt, and I worked my way through all eight of them, and they're all just flopping on the floor. God just met each one of them as I read what was written on their T-shirts. You're all wondering, there was nothing written on their T-shirts. It was Holy Spirit auto-cue kind of thing, you know. I looked later and there was nothing there. But I need to stand up to demonstrate this. Of course, I've been doing this, and I've got like 250 people behind me, but I haven't got an audience anymore. They seem to be distracted by the presence of God. So I, I got in the flow by this point, and I spun around like this, and I said, God is here tonight, and if you've got pain anywhere in your body, I want you to come to the front right now because God is going to heal you. And then I had one of those out-of-the-body experiences where I stood next to myself and said, what are you going to do now? And then I remembered the words of knowledge that the team had had, so I grabbed the, the guy with the list, and we read out the words of knowledge for this line of people standing at the front, and all of them were standing there. But this was a list we'd written in the van on the way. So I had the person who had the word of knowledge pray for the person who needed healing, because I hadn't had any words of knowledge. I'd been too busy going, oh God, oh God, oh God, what's going to happen? <laughs> and they all got healed, and it was beautiful. And there's one lady standing in the middle, right in the central aisle. She's sort of all frozen up like this. And she's not on the list. So I, uh, this is all by translation, of course, because Montreal's French-speaking. And so we asked her, what's the matter? And it turned out she'd had a car accident that winter. This is the summertime. She'd had a car accident the previous winter. And uh, she's all frozen up. She can't bend. She can't anything. And so... The Lord prompted me and said, well, whose fault was the accident? She said, it was my fault. And I said, the Lord prompted me again and said, well, would you like to forgive yourself? She said, yes, I would. So I start to lead her in a simple little prayer to forgive herself. And we don't get more than halfway through the prayer when suddenly she goes, bam, on the floor. We didn't even have a catcher for her because she was standing there so solid. We thought there was no way this lady was going to fall over. But she literally just fell over like a tree. Bang. And I was so out of it, I thought, well, that's not a good idea with a bad back. <laughs> but I had seen Benny Hinn on TV one time, so I knew what to do next. So pick her up. <laughs> this dear lady's got completely and wonderfully healed because Holy Spirit thought he'd help us out. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. She didn't know what she was doing, but Holy Spirit thought he could show up. And the whole of that evening was just a powerful time. I don't remember all the detail of it, but I do remember at the end, you know, I said I don't do prophecy. Well, I don't really do evangelism either. And this was a revival meeting. They wanted an evangelistic message. So I gave the most effective evangelistic message of my life. I said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, would you come to the front, please? And about 25 people came forward. 
because God was there. And so if I was to sum up my revival story before we invite anybody else who's got a revival story from Toronto to share a bit, it would be this. <laughs> Just like Jane said, God did what I couldn't do. If I will let God do what God wants to do, he will gather me deeper into what he's doing. He enfolds us into what he is doing. Revival is not something you chase after or something you force to happen. It's something you get closer and closer to until you slip and fall in. And once you're in, you can't get out. <laughs> but it's easily received relationally, not geographically. It's worth going to see what God is doing in places where God's moving, as all of us have done, actually, haven't we? But it's the relational that makes all the difference. That's why it's been so lovely having you folks with us this week. Uh, because the relationships that God builds, and that's why I love our church family here. We have such a level of relationship God loves to move among us. Do you want to pick on somebody? Well, <coughs> we, we d we're, we're talking about this on Thursday night, and 1995 was really important. I don't know if, Charlie, you want to start. But <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, my uh, <coughs> my lovely wife and I, Barb. We got we got married in 1980, and uh, <coughs> we knew we uh, you know we knew we knew we wanted to be Christians, and uh, we had both accepted the Lord, and uh, we <coughs> when we got married, we began going to um, uh, actually a lovely Baptist church. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, um, it was a, um, I would say it was a church that, uh, had a kind of an older, uh, um, an older, uh, uh, community. And it wasn't that they, you know, they weren't like welcoming or anything, but it was, it was just a little, you know, we, we didn't really have like any, you know, friends that had you know, kind of like us, just married, and then we <clears throat> we kind of stopped going. Um, so in nineteen uh, nineteen eighty eight, we had our our first child, and we kind of took a look at ourselves. We said, you know, it's probably not a good idea that we we're going to raise our kids out of the church. So uh, we better maybe we better find one. So we found another another church that, you know, I would characterize as. Um, evangelical because uh, you know we wanted a you know real solid uh, church and <clears throat> uh, you know so we, we started going there and that's where we met uh, Inger and her husband Ralph and um, <clears throat> one of the things that we noticed about uh, bo both of those churches that we went to is that um, they were uh, it, you know every Every church service we went to was about salvation, which is great, but no one ever got saved because we were all already saved, right? And so, um, <clears throat> I don't know, and, 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 I, and I don't mean to, um, you know, I don't, I don't mean to disparage that at all, uh, right? But, <clears throat> you know, from someone who, uh, 
uh, you know, was kind of like, I was, I was saved, but I, I wasn't very deep, right? Um, I, I was like, is this all there is? You know, is that, is this what it is? We just, so we get saved and then we go out and we find other people to get saved so that they can go out and get other people to get saved. It, it sounded like a pyramid scheme, right? And, and, um, and, and, and again, I, you know, I don't mean to make light of that, but I was very confused and I was not happy. And so, you know, going to church for me was a, was a struggle, right? Because it just was always, it was always the same. You know, every scripture that, I, that was taught ended up in the same place, right? Go out and get someone saved. But no one ever got saved. It was always the same people. So, so one day, we're in church, and um, Inger's husband, Ralph, and this other friend of ours, Eric, were talking. And of course, you know, you don't know me very well. I'm, ver I'm very changed now. But I was very um, uh, shy. And, um, you know, I, it wasn't like me to put myself forward into anything. But I heard Ralph and our, my friend Eric talking about God was doing something in Toronto. And they said, let's, let's go up and check it out. And, uh, you know, they were kind of like talking up here in the front two rows, and I was baby back by the sound booth. And I heard them talking, and I said, and I, and I interrupted their conversation, and I said, when you go, I'd like to go with you, right? Which was, that was so out of character for me. And so, sure enough, you know, they are going to go, and... Um, you know, I went, and another uh, young man who was, uh, James was probably seven, how much? 16 years old. So the four of us got in a car, drove to Toronto. We thought they were still in the original building. We, we stayed at a hotel over there. Didn't matter. So we go to the, we go to Toronto. This is 95. And um, so all the way up, Ralph's saying, now look, when we get up there, I don't feel obligated that you have to do anything. We'll just go up and we're going to just stand on the sides and see what's going on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if there's anything going up, up on up there, I'm not going to stand on the sides. But I didn't say anything because I was, you know, I was very laid back. I, you know, I didn't want anyone to know what I was thinking. So we go up there and... Um, you know, we're, we're worshiping, and I mean, you know, you, you know, it, it's just unbelievable, the presence of God. I got tired, right? I got tired. I, I felt like I was so full of God, so full of worship. I was tired, and I'd sit down, right? I just couldn't take anymore, and I'd sit down, and then, you know, I'd rest a little bit, and then, I, then he would call me again. Right, and, I, and then I'd stand up and worship some more. It was like I, I, um, and we worship, and and then, you know, we have a, a a short message, you know, or a long message. I don't even know what the message was, and then we go back and stand on those red lines, and then, uh, you know, you get prayed for and you fall down, and then I struggle and I and I I get up again, 
right? Because I want more prayer. I, I became a prayer hog, right? <clears throat> and so, um, what I what I found my revelation the first time at Toronto was that God is real. See, He hadn't been real to me. I knew about Him. I I had read the truth of Scripture, but it wasn't true to me. Right? I mean, I just I just came across this the other day. Right? We we went to a, a church. Right? So this was the this was a little revelation for me. The blood of Christ cleanses us of our sinfulness. You believe that? I do too. I believe that. It's an amazing it's an amazing truth. It's an amazing revelation. You know so much of my life, I've, I've gone to churches where every Sunday we have, you know, we have communion and celebrate that truth. But in the same service, we confess our sin again and, have for, and, and, and ask for forgiveness. So how's that, how does that work? You understand what I mean? Now, I, I don't, maybe, there's a, maybe there's an explanation for that. I don't know. But in my mind, I couldn't do both. See, I couldn't do both. And so those conflicts made God not real to me. Because if you have to do both, then it kind of like, okay, so you're covering all your bases? Or what is this? You know? So God was real to me. Now, you know, I'm, I'm what they call an education, um, uh, we used to call them a reflective practitioner, which is a big word for a guy that likes to think about things, <laughs> right? I, I like to think about things. And so when I have a, <clears throat> when I have a new uh, revelation of something that, is, that speaks truth into my spirit, I take that truth and I examine it through all of my past experience as much as I can remember to see how it, how it settles through that. And so when I found God was real, <laughs> I, had a lot, I had a lot of my life to go through, right? And so <clears throat> I would say that, um, you know, I'm still in revival, right? So last night, this, this blessed woman right here, do you, uh, do, you know, do you know what a treasure you have in these two? Right? We're, we're, having, we're having tea in the afternoon, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and I was just saying, I haven't had tea like that. My, my grandmother was from Ireland, and she watched us when we were children. We'd get off the bus, and uh, she'd have tea for us. And uh, it just brought back so many wonderful, warm memories. And I was telling a little bit about my dad, and I, and I remembered uh, when the day my father uh, wouldn't let me sit on his lap anymore. Uh, it, and it was just, you know, I think I was just too old in his mind to be, like, cuddled as a young man. You know, I think he felt maybe, I don't know what he felt. I, was, I needed to stand on my own or, you know, whatever. So Jane picked up on that, and she ministered healing to me. 
And so there, there now, you know, this is, I don't know how long it took. It, to me, it wasn't that long. Maybe it was a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. I don't know. So now I'm a reflective practitioner, right? I, get, I take this, over this last, you know, 12 hours or so it's been, I've taken this wonderful healing that God has done in me about my dad. And, and believe me, I've done a lot of healing with my dad. And now I've applied this and just kind of let that filter through all my dad experiences and go through some more forgiveness and, and just been just able to love him more. Right? And, um, you know, that's the nature of, of what happens to us. It's such a beautiful thing. And so what does that have to do with jumping in the river? Everything, right? That is the jumping in the river. And uh, <clears throat> you know, as you jump in the river and you, and you swim for the bottom, and you know, you're looking for these wonderful, deep things of God, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. These are the deep things of God. And um, <laughs> I was just—I came across this the other day, right? Uh, um, when Adam, when Adam sinned, right? <clears throat> and God, uh, God is in the is in the garden, right? And he's and he says, um, and I, I love the passion uh, translation of this because it says the spirit is, is you know the. The, the, it talks about the breeze, and it's essentially the spirit is blowing through the garden, and the father is rustling through the leaves. And, and the, the point of it is that the father is desiring relationship with Adam, right? And Adam is hiding. And so God asks, where are you? And so he's provided us with this river that we can once again enter into this wonderful relationship with him. Because that's been his heart's desire from the beginning. Yeah. So just before Charlie steps down, this might really be relevant to some of you, but to unpack just a little bit of your story was that when his dad pushed him away off his lap, you, f you felt ashamed. You felt like you didn't belong on his lap anymore. And so, and so the, the ministry was that you actually received something that, that wasn't for you. You received shame. And, and God needed to come and take that shame away. Right? And so now because you were able to forgive your dad for doing that, you're actually open to the father inviting you back onto his lap. So at the very end, if you would like Charlie to pray for you, if that's something that you feel like you receive shame from your dad, I want you to go to Charlie at the end. I'm going to ask Inga. <laughs> Just say a little bit of what Jeremiah 29:11 says, "When you search for me with all your heart, 
My promise to you is that I will be found. And um, I grew up with abandonment issues, uh, felt like an orphan like you did, Mark. But there was always this need for God in my life. And uh, I, like Charlie, would say, God, there has to be more than this. And um, even though we were attending an evangelical church, <laughs> I, on this side, was going to a spirit-filled group in my neighborhood and had some wonderful experiences with the Holy Spirit. My husband wasn't going with me. And um, in fact, he said to me one day, he said, I don't, there was something going on where you are with the leader and I really don't want you to go anymore. You know, and it just broke my heart, but I knew that I needed to obey my husband and so I did. Shortly after that, um, I was invited by my middle daughter's mother-in-law to go to Vermont to a revival meeting uh, where one of the speakers from Toronto was sharing. So the same thing that was happening in Toronto was happening in Vermont. While I was there, I was overwhelmed by the love of the Father. Just overwhelmed. You know, I heard scriptures like, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I don't think I ever heard that in the church. The other one was, um, I love because you first, he loves. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. And it became real you know, tangible, real thing. And um, so when I came back home, I urged my husband and Charlie and Eric and, and this other young man to go to Toronto, and they were kind of hesitant about that. But uh, I, I don't know, but Charlie obviously wasn't hesitant, but my, husb my husband was uh, at first. And uh, I guess the Holy Spirit convinced him that he should go. Well... <laughs> he came back a changed man, <laughs> totally changed. Um, I was telling these folks on, on Thursday night that um, there's a very, if you've been to Toronto as, as you leave the airport, there's a very industrial center town, uh, city I guess it is, uh, with lots of factories and whatnot. And Ralph said, honey, I looked out the window and he said, isn't God's creation beautiful? <laughs> now, my husband was a, is a lawyer by profession. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> a, deep, a deep thinker. <laughs> um, so while the guys were up in Toronto, they said um, they made an announcement that in October there was going to be a Catch the Fire meeting. And Ralph said, don't tell my wife because we had planned a trip to Italy and we'll never get there. <laughs> well, I got the word anyway. <laughs> and we went up to Toronto as a couple 
And um, my husband at that time was, was a sitting judge, uh, Supreme Court Justice in the state of New York. And um, the Lord told him that he should go up and give his testimony. And he said, honey, I don't, I don't really feel good about this. And uh, I said, well, you know, if God's telling you to do it, do it. So he did. He got up and gave his testimony. And uh, from then on, our life just became like a whirlwind. We had a prophecy that we would be ministering to thousands. And that just makes your head spin. I mean, who am I to <laughs> minister to thousands? But we've been all over the world. And that's the thing I miss most of all. I lost my husband two and a half years ago to cancer. And, um, but during, during um, prayer this morning, the word that came back to me was, when I used to minister, I would start and say, hello, I'm God's favorite. That's how I felt. I still feel that way. But then I would say, you know, that's not quite the truth. Because each one of you are God's favorite. And that's what I want you to bring home with you, that you are God's favorite. And he loves you with an everlasting love. Amen. Thank you, Inga. And we loved meeting Ralph and Inga. And my claim to fame with Ralph is that I was trying to lead worship with a guitar for some baptisms at a, um, the church camp. And I needed someone to hold my music. And Ralph held my music, who's Supreme Judge, held my music. Mike, can you do, Mike and Monique, do you want to say, we're just we're sort of getting close to the end, but I don't want to miss out, because I feel like there's just some things that can be released into this place. Hi, Monique. Wow, that's amazing stuff, guys. <laughs> Praise God. I'll just keep this quick, but um, Monique and I just planted a church, uh, our first church in a school back in 93. And the blizzard of 93, does anybody remember the blizzard or the crazy storms? I think it's the anniversary today, uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, tomorrow. Okay. So we started our church uh, with about six teenagers, 19, 20-year-olds, and two adults. We had no clue what we were doing, no clue. But um, we pressed forward with that, and we, um, uh, I went on a mission trip to uh, the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and was working there with some several other pastors, and they kept saying, have you heard what's going on in Toronto? By now, this was 94, and I'm like, I didn't know there was a Toronto, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what is that? Is that been Canada? And they said, God's moving. And, you know, several other pastors are like, no, don't go, don't go. It's not God. And several other, you know, it was. So I came home. I told Monique, I said, um, you know, we have some interesting things happening in our church right now. We have all these young people. We were youth pastors for 10 years. And um, so we attracted a lot of young people. But all these 19, 20-year-olds uh, were doing things crazy like falling on the floor and laughing they ain't they're not going to fake that you know what i'm saying i mean they're 
it's just happening to so and then i heard that was happening in toronto like, we got to go so we jumped on a plane in 95 flew up there and of course uh we got in that long line and the doors open and we ran in and we got our seats up there in the fifth row and the presence of god was so incredible i, I it just we could I remember we were at, we were sitting in about midway through uh, about the fifth row back, and uh, a guy named Jim Paul calls us out during the service, and he says, "You two, you two, come up here," and we were trying to make it through the rolls. We we're going, <laughs> you know, people were holding us up and trying to carry us. The anointing was so strong we couldn't even walk. How many's ever been there? Anybody here? And they were we were trying to get up there and. They prayed for us, and we, we fell on the floor and laid there for I don't know how long till after the service sometime. We, we got up and said, where are we? Where did, you know, we're in a twilight zone here. I mean, we, it was so powerful. But the biggest thing we took away from it is this. Um, I was telling you guys this the other night. So we're having this incredible experience. You know, it's, it's like open heaven there. And um, uh, I noticed this guy, um, he would see me across the, you know, maybe two or three rows over, whatever. And every time he would see me, he would go, you know. So I'm like, you know, every, I'd go to the coffee shop or whatever. He'd see me. I'm like, do you see that guy keep waving at me? And he's like, yeah, I've been noticing. It happened like five or six times. I mean, I hit me way over somewhere. Like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Looking around, I don't, it was kind of freaking me out a little. And so, uh, but she, Monique said, um, do you notice that guy kind of looks like your father? I'm like, oh, yeah, he does. And my, my father had... Uh, when I was 11, had rode off on a motorcycle, waved at me, and left. And so I had a lot of this hurt and this pain. I, and I knew, I knew God and I knew the Father, but I didn't really understand the depth of the Father's love. And that's one thing that revival, true revival does, is reveal the Father. And so I didn't know what God had set me up for here, but it was about to happen. So the last night we were there, uh, this guy starts making a beeline towards me. I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, this is odd. And he comes right up to me, and he embraces me, and he holds me. And, I'm, and I start weeping, and I'm not really one that cries. And I'm weeping, and, and he's crying. And I finally push him back, and I said, I said, you look like my father. And he was from where, honey? He was from Holland. His name was Hans. God had sent him all the way from Holland to do this. This is the Father's love in action. And, and I pushed him back. I said, you look like my father. He said, God sends me to young men who have had a terrible situation with their earthly father to let them know that the Heavenly Father wants to heal them. And I'm standing there. I I really thought at that moment I was going to have a personal rapture or something. I didn't know how. I can't even explain how I felt. I just, you ever have just like this 
rush over yourself and you don't know if you're going to hit the floor or take off running or I don't know what to do. And But all of a sudden I felt this, it's like this bitterness or something. It's like something reached down in me, the hand of the Father, and just pulled something out. And that began a healing process. And the incredible thing, that my earthly father is still alive. He's 95 years old. And he had gotten saved. I got saved in 1980, and he got saved before I did. And he was, I don't want to go into that whole story, but he was kind of like the town adulterer, my dad. But he got saved in adultery with his girlfriend, somebody that's a long story, but but we still didn't have a relationship. We still didn't have, there was a lot of bitterness there between me and her because, you know, she took him away. and and I, But from that point, there began to be a healing between me and my father. And uh, I, just, I just saw him before we left. We have these Bible studies together. It took a long time. It was a process, but I know it, be, it began back there and it, it brought such a healing and a revelation of the father's love and I think that's a good way to just kind of end what I'm saying is is when it's true revival and you feel it here in this church you feel this love when it's true revival there's a revelation of the father's love that never ends it keeps growing and that keeps you in revival. That keeps you in a true state of revival, not just a flash in the pan, because God wants to do something deeper. So, so I want to ask, I want to ask all of you guys to come up, and I want to open this up for any of you who, one of them might not have spoken, but I I know that hearts are being touched right now, and you know that you need to, you 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 would like more. You would like. You would like a father's hug or a mother's hug. These guys can do this, and I, I just feel like today's a day to to come forward and to just say, I here I am, God. I surrender, and I want something. Some of your story touched my heart. So so come on, we're just going to invite everyone to come up, young and old. Come and get some prayer. Come and be ministered to. These guys are going out of town this morning, so it's time to come. <laughs> yeah, do you... You can just, uh, yeah, just come on forward. <laughs> we'll be dismissed with this, but don't forget we have the Bethel team coming in this week. Check your email. Make sure you don't miss any of the events that are coming through this week and next weekend.